Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. In light of it being Flip Camp Sunday, I'm going to end our Genesis sermon series a little early. Um, We're going to have the first through fifth graders in the service next service, and uh, so want to preach from, as Corey mentioned, their theme verse for the week, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. I'm actually going to read uh, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 5 as well. Many of you probably know, if you're familiar with the New Testament, Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are the Sermon on the Mount, maybe the three most famous uh, chapters of Scripture, at least se- sequentially ordered, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are the longest uninterrupted discourse that Jesus has in the entire Bible. Three whole chapters from front to start, all Jesus speaking. And and that was uh, where we find the theme verses for Flip Camp last week. As I said, verses 14 and 16, but I also want to read the intro verses, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. So I'll read those for us, and then we'll dive in. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my pet peeves, one of the things that really gets under my skin is wasting food. I hate when I have to throw away food uneaten and wasted. Somebody worked hard growing that plant. Somebody worked hard preparing that meal, but now it's spoiled, it's expired, it's wasted, and we have to throw it away. And there's a few young people in my family who have helped me identify this pet peeve that I have about wasted food. Like, one thing is that our kids don't drink the milk in their cereal. Like, after they eat all the little bits of cereal and they have some milk left over in the bowl. They're like, I'm done. And they put away their bowl in the sink. And I'm like, that milk is the best part. You got to drink it. Don't waste it. Or every now and then I'll open up the trash can in the kitchen to throw something away. And sitting right there at the top of the trash is a perfectly good apple. Like maybe one tiny bite has been taken out of that. But other than that, it's perfectly whole and eatable apple. And I don't want to waste it. So I do what should be done. I take the apple out. I give it a little scrub and I eat it because I don't want to waste it. This is this is dad life, right? This is true fatherhood. But wasting some cereal milk, wasting an apple, as much as it hurts my heart, it's pretty trivial. It's a pretty, pretty small thing. But what if we wasted something even more important than a milk or an apple? What if we wasted the most important thing we have? 
our very lives. What if we got to the end of our life and there was regret, disappointment, uncertainty because we had a sense that we wasted it or at least we wasted a good portion of it? How can we make sure that we don't waste our lives? How can we make sure that we fulfill the purpose that we were created for? You know, that wasted cereal milk had the designed purpose of being drunk by the cereal eater. And that thrown away apple was made to be eaten and enjoyed. But they were both wasted. And neither fulfilled the purpose for which they had been made. But what about our lives? How can we make sure that our lives count for eternity? How can we make sure that we get to the end and know we didn't waste it? Well, in order to answer this question, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and verses 14 through 16. In order, in order to answer this question about not wasting our lives, we're going to ask some more questions. We're going to ask three questions about this passage. First, who is Jesus talking to? Second, who does he say that we are? And third, what does he tell us to do? Who is Jesus talking to? Who does he say that we are? And what does he tell us to do? So first, who is Jesus talking to? So look back with me at those first couple of verses of chapter 5. Matthew, the writer of the gospel of Matthew, he tells us that Jesus had seen all the crowds, but at this time, he went up the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So the them there is the disciples. The disciples come to Jesus on the mountain, and Jesus teaches them. So that's the answer to our first question, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples, now, in our, in our culture, we don't use this language of disciple very often. So what does this word mean? What is a disciple? Well, very simply, a disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be one who learns from Jesus, someone who is a student of the life and teaching of Jesus Furthermore, in Scripture, very often being a disciple of Jesus is also linked with following Jesus. So a teacher or a rabbi, as they were called in Jesus' day, a teacher would go from place to place, teaching, ministering, living life, and the teacher's students or disciples would follow them, learning from them on the way, the way their teacher lived, learning what he taught. So very often during Jesus' life, if he wanted someone to become his disciple, he wouldn't say, hey, be my disciple. Instead, he would say simply, follow me. Because that's what it means to be a disciple, a learner, a student, a follower of Jesus. So this is the first step of not wasting our lives and fulfilling the purpose that God created us for. Follow Jesus. Attach yourself to Jesus as one of his disciples. I mentioned that in our culture, we don't often use this language of disciple, but it's also true that even in the church, we don't often use this language, disciple of Jesus, very often. Instead, in the church, 
far more often we use the language of Christian. When we want to identify someone who believes in Jesus or when we want to identify ourselves as someone who believes in Jesus, we most often say, I am a Christian. More often than we would say, I am a disciple of Jesus. But scripture is just the opposite. In the New Testament, the language of disciple is used over 250 times and the language of Christian is used twice. Only two times in the New Testament is the word Christian used. Acts chapter 26, verse 28, and 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. That's it. Two times. So the label Christian is a biblical word, but the word disciple is a much more biblical word in that sense at least. And yet the way we talk reflects just the opposite. Many people, maybe the majority of people in our culture will mark the religious survey Christian. Many, many people in our culture will profess, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But a disciple of Jesus? Well, I don't know about that. A follower of Jesus? Well, that seems a little intense, a little serious, a little passionate. But guys, Jesus is not looking for surfacy, shallow, so-called Christians. He's looking for disciples. He's calling for students to give their lives to him and learn from him. One pastor teacher put it this way. He said, Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. In other words, Jesus isn't interested in folks who are going to sit in the stands, sit on the sidelines, and get all the benefits of being on Team Jesus, but not make any of the sacrifices. Jesus is completely uninterested in those sort of lukewarm, half-hearted fans. He's calling for disciples. He's got a band of disciples. So I call on you now. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and fulfill the purpose he has for you. His company of disciples is open to all. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to be religious enough. You don't have to be wealthy enough. He is calling wherever you are, wherever you are going through, he is calling you to follow him. To swear your deepest allegiance to him. To commit to his way, his teaching for your life. And he will receive you. That's the first question. Who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. And secondly, who does he say that we are? Who does he say that we are? Again, listen to verse 14. This is several verses into the Sermon on the Mount. He's addressing his disciples and he says to them, You are the light of the world. So Jesus here fills out more of the identity of his disciples. We are his disciples, his followers, but we are also the light of the world, he says. Now, throughout the whole Bible, it talks a lot about light. uh, On day one of creation in Genesis, God speaks light into existence. In 1 John chapter 1, it says that God himself is light and in him is no darkness at all. But along with creating light and being light, God promised from long ago to make his people a light. So in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 42 verse 6, God speaks through the prophet and he says this, I am the Lord. 
I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. So this was God's plan from centuries past that his people would be a light to the nations. And here in Matthew 5, Jesus is saying that God's purpose is fulfilled. All who follow Jesus are to be a light to the nations, the light of the world. Psychologists and other happiness experts have long pointed out the importance for our mental health to be part of something bigger than ourselves. It's like we're wired to want to make a difference in our world. So when we're disconnected from a larger purpose or a broader movement, we struggle mentally. We're not as healthy as we should be because we were made to advance a cause. We were made to take new ground. We were made to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And Jesus is inviting us here to just such a thing. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be the light of the world. Our calling to Christ is a calling to the nations. It's a calling to be a part of a movement that's going to make global impact. This isn't just something bigger than ourselves. This is something way bigger than ourselves. And so, friend, I want to ask you, do you feel lost in life? Are you floundering for purpose? Do you go to school, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed, do it all over again, and think, what's the point? Why am I here? What is this for? What am I doing really? And do you have an ache, a hunger to be a part of something bigger than yourself to make a lasting difference? Well, following Jesus living among his disciples and being a light to the nations, the light of the world, that is the kind of purpose that we were created for and that's the kind of purpose we have in Christ. Who is Jesus talking to? Who does he say that we are? And finally, what does he tell us to do? What does he tell us to do? Look lastly at the rest of verse 14 all the way through verse 16. Jesus continues, He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but you put a light on a light stand so that it gives light to all in the house. So what Jesus first says here is what we are not to do as the light of the world. He says that we are not to hide. He says a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. Cities are brightly lit, right? And a city on a hill, even more so, is brightly lit. It cannot avoid being seen. It can't hide. And Jesus says, same thing for my disciples. We are not to hide. We are not to cluster ourselves away from the world. He goes on in verse 15. He says, we aren't to hide, and similarly, we aren't to cover up. He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts a cover over it. No, just the opposite. You put a light on a stand, you raise the light so that it has maximum effect and gives light to all who are in the house. We aren't able to hide. We are not to cover up. Instead, verse 16, we are to let our light shine so that people may see our good works and then give glory to the Father. What Jesus is saying here 
is that by us doing good works, people are able to see the difference in our lives as followers of Jesus. And when people see the difference in our lives, when they learn about the power of Jesus' love that changed us, when they learn about the gift of Jesus' sacrifice that redeemed us, then they will join us in giving glory to God. So do we need to speak the truth of the gospel? Yes. Do we need to faithfully hold to the teaching of Scripture? Yes. But it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter how solid our theology is if our lives don't display the power of the gospel. Our actions of generosity testify to the generosity of God in giving the gift of His Son to die on our behalf. Our actions of sacrificial love testify to the loving sacrifice of Jesus for sinners. Our acts of compassion testify to the compassionate heart of God who adopts us into his family through Jesus. Yes, our community, Lapeer County, needs to hear the good news of Jesus, but they must see the good news of Jesus through the way you and I live. By doing good works, people are able to see the difference in our lives as followers of Jesus. And when people see the difference in our lives, it'll help them to believe the gospel for themselves and join us in glorifying God. And guys, this is the way to ensure you will not waste your life. Following Jesus joining his band of disciples, being the light of the world, doing good, glorifying God, that is a life well lived. That is a life that counts for eternity. It is annoying to waste food. It is annoying to throw away a perfectly good apple. It gets under my skin to pour out that tasty cereal milk. It's annoying to waste those things. But it is a tragedy to waste your life. It is a tragedy of eternal consequence not to live for what matters most. It's annoying to waste food. It's devastating to waste your life on trivialities, on puny pleasures, on temporary comforts. And so, church, let's receive the call of Christ to follow him. Let's live with the purpose of glorifying God in the way that we live. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.